Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the call as we kick off the afternoon here on Oz Business Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. Great to have your company and uh, great to be back in the chair here at the call for 2022. And uh, got a great show ahead and uh, kicking off with uh, my favourite panel, uh, Gaurav Sodhi from Intelligent Investor, Nathan Somersandaran from Deep Data Analytics. Good morning. Uh, afternoon, gents. Welcome to 2022, although you guys have been sort of back at it for a, for a little while at the moment. Nathan, you've been prolific on Twitter. <laughs> There's nothing else to do when you're stuck at home. Uh, <laughs> other than running into supermarkets trying to get stuff when, uh, you know, the supply chain issues everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, follow Nathan um, on Twitter. He's very... Informative, entertaining, and Korev, he's become a lot more opinionated at a whole range of things. I'm, I'm glad to see it. You know, one thing I've been, you know, we've known each other for a long time and I've been waiting for this, this transformation to happen. I'm glad to see it, mate. About time. No more been sitting. <laughs> so that's been very good. All right. We always run out of time with you two because there's a lot of information that you share with us. So let's get stuck into it. Um, stock of the day. Um, uh, is not West Farmers because it's one of the suggested um, uh, stocks a bit later on. They, of course, had their trading update today. So we'll go into that in a, uh, a bit more detail um, a bit later in the program. But our stock of the day, Clinival Pharmaceuticals, uh, shares up pretty strongly in trading this morning after announcing its completed uh, enrolment in its study of uh, one of their treatments for uh, for one of their stroke medications. And uh, it's um, always pharmaceuticals and these med techs are fascinating, and particularly when they make progression in developing a, a particular drug. Um, Nathan, what did you think of the announcement today and also the stock as it is? Yeah, look, it's a, it's an interesting time in the cycle for uh, biotechs. Um, 2021 was a, a great year for most biotechs. Um, I mean, in Australia, we have a lot of small biotechs, and then we got CSL with the behemoth that does everything. So if you don't know anything, you just buy CSL, and CSL is a market darling. Now, a clinical, it's, it's actually got a lot of ponies. I mean, I, I was, I'm a big fan of biotechs. They give me the same risk return as mining stocks. Uh, blue sky upside, a um, lot of risk while they're doing it. Um, and you have to know management, you have to trust management. Because at the end of the day, um, this is about the blue sky treatment that they have to go through these processes, regulatory play, prove it, and the, the concept has to work. But the, the trick with biotech is you want to have a basket of stocks because you just don't know which one's going to do well uh, and de-risk your investment. Now, the, the good thing about something like Clinical is they've got multiple ponies running. So they're different, different... Um, 
they have, I suppose, solutions that they're working on, and all you need is one or two to come through, and you've made their jackpot. So in that context, I think it, it, it stacks up relatively well. The only problem I've got is it's just a macro where we are in the market. So classic growth stock. So the market at the moment wants to buy value stocks, cyclical growth stocks, not your classic growth stocks. So the biotechs and the tech stocks that did really well, the healthcare stocks that did really well through last year, will have a tougher run at this point. Mm. Uh, but in in saying that, Cleanliness, you know, it's, it's one of those things. There's a, I suppose, tale of two cities. There's one part of the growth stocks have already been hammered, and the other part of the stock growth stocks haven't been hammered. So Cleanliness is in the one that's come back. I mean, if you look at the last probably two, 12 to 18 months chart, it's a very similar trend to what's happening with CSL. So it's a more of a macro trade on what's happening. So they have a, a decent pipeline, a lot of products in play. So I do like it. But I think in the shorter term, macro takes over, so it might be weak in the shorter term. Um, and if you're a fan, I would say buy a bit at a time over the next three to four months. And I, I think it's worthwhile taking a punt on as a biotech. Okay, all right. And if you're in it, certainly hold it by the sound of it. Yeah. Uh, Gaurav? Yeah, I know this is one of Nathan's favorite sectors, so I was interested <laughs> to get his take on it. Um, this is a stock we've actually followed and recommended for a number of years, in fact, and it's not our natural hunting ground. Uh, we've, we've actually got some specialist um, interest in this area. Our, our science kind of uh, analyst is has, has a, a lot of qualifications in this area and he's got a natural interest in this area. So he does come up with, with weird and, and wonderful companies for us to look at from time to time. This is one of them. So Clinival has a chemical compound um, that, uh, that that deals with um, skin pigmentation and it's used this single compound to launch a whole series of treatments for really rare and small scale diseases. Um, so the, the one that we're most interested in, they've got a treatment for vitiligo, which is a rare skin condition that discolors um, parts of the skin. It's a absolutely devastating disease if you get it and the treatment options are quite, um, are quite few. They have one of the most promising treatments on the market and um, running the numbers through the potential revenue and uh, and profit on that treatment. It is a company maker if, if it pans out. And, and so far, the signs mm. are actually quite good. Um, and, and then the, the icing on the cake really is that they can use that compound to then um, build other treatments, which they are currently doing. And, and the one um, we're talking about today, the one they announced about today is is a smaller, I would say less significant part of the optionality, but it is, it, it does demonstrate what's possible here. You can take um, something that works and, uh, and make some incremental changes to it to create new treatments. And that's the opportunity available here. Um, they've got a revenue stream. They, they do have cash flow to draw upon. Um, it's a good management team that are focused on solving very specific problems. I think that's key when you're delving into this area. You want a business that knows exactly what it's doing, unlike, say, Mesoblast, which just tries to do just scattergun <laughs> approach and trying to find a hit out of nowhere. These yeah. guys are very focused on what they're doing, and um, I, I quite like the business. Um, we've had a buy on it for, for about two years, actually, and, and I think that's, with, with the recent price um, correction, I think that remains the call now. So I'll go spec mm. buy on this one as well. Okay. Absolutely fascinating to keep an eye on. All right. Okay. Some good ones there. All right, let's uh, get into the stocks that you've suggested we have a look at. And Gaurav, Gabriel wants a view on Calix. Um, Gabriel says, I've averaged up since uh, it was suggested and want to be a long-term holder. 
But how will the experts navigate 2022 with rising, uh, with rising interest rates? Calix is sort of a new technology making, um, if you like, green steel, isn't it? Uh, and capturing the carbon. Well, this was the. This is going to be, I think, one of the difficult questions of this year is is how do you treat these kind of businesses? Calix has no doubt a promising technology, a genuine, important innovation that can solve a whole heap of problems. It's a $1 billion market cap with very little revenue, zero profits. And, um, you know, what do you do with it in this kind of environment where interest rates are rising, narrative stocks, theme stocks are on the nose, and they should be um, with what's going on around the world? I don't have a concrete answer to that. But looking through the business, I've been following for a little while. What they have is that they have a, a new innovation that um, that basically creates a new kill technology, so a way of, mm. of heating stuff um, that's greener, uh, more efficient, and, um, and and completely different to existing technologies. And you can apply this in various different circumstances. Now, when Calix first listed, the promise was that this is going to be a green way of making concrete. And that was a really important problem because concrete is one of the largest um, greenhouse gas emission processes we have on the planet. And so uh, reducing, uh, doing that more efficiently goes a long way of, towards reducing carbon emissions. The story has completely changed now. You go through their presentation now, it's all about new battery materials, not a single mention <laughs> of concrete. And it's all about where, where they've got an agreement with Pilbara Minerals. We're all about lithium and, and new battery materials. And that concerns me a little bit. Right. You've got a great core technology that appears to be working. I don't fully understand the technicals of it, but um, we haven't done a deep dive on this business, but it's a, it's a, it's a promising core technology, but the narrative has, has done a dramatic flip from concrete to batteries. And that, that worries me because it suggests that management's sort of chasing the newest fad. And that's not really the sort of people you want to be invested alongside. Right. Now that doesn't make this a sell automatically. I just think this is one to follow from a distance for the moment. It is interesting. I, I am watching it. I wouldn't be buying it today, but I think there's enough here to possibly hold. Um, it depends on your risk profile. I, I, look, I, I think it's fine as a hold, but I would certainly not be buying. And if anything, I'd, I'd, I'd probably just watch my position size, make oh, sure yeah. it's a nice small holding. Um, uh, but but yeah, keep an eye on it. It could be it could be a great success in, this, in the future, or it could fizzle out to nothing yeah. if it's not handled properly. Yeah. So the classic definition of, of speculative. Yeah, really good point, uh, Nathan. What do you think of Calix? Yeah, I, was, I thought, you know, start the year, I could start having arguments with uh, Gurav, but uh, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, he, he's start. pretty much on the ball here. Um, it, it Look, it's it's an interesting thematic, but I think Gurav hit the nail on the head when he says, when the thematic of what the management is selling changes with the hottest thematic of the moment, you start to, you know, red lights start to, you know, go off in my head. Uh, why is management changing? And I, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, if you... Even uh, even Blind Freddy would have jumped on a battery thematic if you can. And they kind of evolved through that play and they're on the conferences they, and the stock's done well. I mean, it's a billion dollar stock. So it's not like you're finding something new. Uh, now, the trick here is, as Gurev said, you have a stock that can play into multiple thematics. So it's, it's one of those technologies that if it works out to actually come up with a solution, then that could be translated into multiple different industries. And that could be the growth story for a long time. So you don't want to say, well, that's it. Now, on the flip side of that, it's on a massive multiple mm. because it is what it is, right? It's a concept that it can play into. 
so it's a concept that the market knows about. Now the trick here is where, when did you get in? If you're looking at it with fresh eyes and you're trying to jump in, I'd be a bit careful. This is not the time to buy these kind of stocks where there is a good story, but still yet to be played out. So that risk return for a billion dollar market cap is always a, a tricky one. But if you got in early and you've had the run up, then as Gaurav said, it just makes sense to take some money off the table, de-risk your investment, and then see how it goes. Um, you know, uh, you know, when you look at where things can go, you know, the previous low was around uh, 575 odd. So if you start to see this stock falling below that level, then the sentiment is turned quite negative. So people are now saying, okay, I'm going to wait and see how this plays out before I jump in. If that happens, I'll be reducing. But at the moment, I'll I'll probably be reducing gradually to de-risk it. If it falls below 575, I'll get out and see what happens. Okay, so you're you're taking some profits. If you're yeah, I think you, you just got to be in this kind of market where we are. You just yep. got to manage risk. Yep. All right. Uh, thank you for that suggestion, uh, Gabriel. Some uh, really good analysis there. Now, Simeon wants a view on mineral resources. Uh, Simeon says, Gaurav always speaks highly of mineral resources. Uh, keen to get his view on when to take profits as it approaches its 52-week high as well. Of course, uh, it's the, the miner that's in uh, uh, iron ore, it's in lithium, it's got um, a chief executive, which uh, Gaurav and Matham both speak very highly of. Uh, Gaurav, what do you reckon of mineral resources at the moment? Would you be taking some money off the table? Yeah, mineral resources. Now, we're not supposed to do this. We're not supposed to fall in love with businesses and and have an affection (laughs) for them and and really like them too much. But I love this business. I almost have fallen in love with it and have a lot of affection for it. And it's not because it's made me a ton of money. (laughs) It has nothing to do with it. I really, I really like um, how this business has, from day one, done something completely different to all of its competitors. It's done its own thing. It started life as a crushing contractor, and it used to contract for really low-quality operations. They couldn't justify their own contracting uh, crushing expenses, so it set up a crushing business. And it got so good at crushing that it actually crushes for everyone in the industry now, including the big boys. So it's gone from being um, service, gone from servicing low, low quality, high cost mines to servicing everyone, and it is by far the market leader. That crushing business, I still think to this day, is chronically misunderstood by the market. When I see brokers talk about it, they they give it sort of a five or six times multiple. They compare it to to mining services businesses, but but this is almost an infrastructure business. You know, they're t- just taking a clip on every ton of of uh, iron ore production that runs through the country. And you cannot run an iron ore operation without um, without crushing. Crushing is one of the most vital components, and they own the game because they've got a, a, a bank of um, of designs that they can change to to sort of suit any environment. And all these designs have to be bespoke. But more importantly, a bit like Reese and Babcor, they've actually established a supply distribution network. Um, in the middle of nowhere to replace parts, to service plants, mm. so they have the lowest downtime. Um, and that is just impossible to replicate. So this this is a impregnable um, core business, which I think is completely misunderstood by the market. And I think it, uh, uh, my valuation on it is more than double the next um, highest valuation in the market on, on that wow. crushing business. And, and, uh, and I think it, there's still a lot of potential there. Now, beyond that, you've got uh, an iron ore business, iron ore, 
mining operation that is uh, so far pretty poor quality, but they're investing a lot of money into making that a much better quality operation. And I don't think the market understands that either. This is going to be a large and better quality iron ore miner over the next five or six years. Um, and they're putting the plans and the dollars in place to make that happen. The lithium side of the business, I think, is starting to to be reflected in the share price. And that's probably the part I'm, I understand least well. And I'm not all that up to date with lithium economics, but I do like that they are producing processed hydroxide and not just digging up uh, spodumene rocks, which I think is, yep. a, is a terrible business. By doing the processing in the hydroxide, every ton of lithium they dig up, they get 10 times the revenue compared to just selling the, 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 the raw rock. And so, as usual, the, Chris Ellison, the, the founder and CEO, is right on yep. how to maximize every dollar of profit. There's no other company that combines um, uh, sort of uh, annuity-style um, servicing revenue with production, um, with, with new ventures, uh, as well as MinRes okay. does. It has really high returns on capital. I think this is an outstanding company, but there are some problems on the horizon. Um, I think they're having cost and staff issues. The share price is not overly dear, but I think in the short term, you might see some um, some potential fall. So I would hold from here. Um, we've had a buy in it for, uh, well, I, I've been buying for a long time. I finally convinced my colleagues and we've added a little bit to our portfolios. Um, I think you want to, if you can get it under $50, I think it's an absolute um, must okay. own, but um, it's a hold for me. And I think the risks are a little bit higher than they ordinarily are at the moment because of uh, cost pressures. So Simeon is saying, should he take some profits off the top? If you're a long-term holder, I haven't sold a single share and I don't plan to sell any. Right. But I am prepared for the share price to fall. And if that happens, I'm happy to top up. I think okay. that's the attitude All right. we should approach this. Um, trying to pick the ups and downs is just a very difficult yep. game. And I wouldn't be trying to do it. So hold. Okay. And as it falls, um, buy some more. Okay. Mike, then Gaurav says he has an affection for mineral resources. Sounds more like an affair to me, but... Uh, I'll let you be the judge. Uh, do, you have, do you have the same sort of love and passion for mineral resources? Uh, Gurav has an indecent proposal for mineral resources. <laughs> um, unfortunately, Gurav loves it and he loves it uh, more than he should. Um, well, look, Minres, Ellison is, uh, look, he, he's an acquired taste. Some people like Gurav love him. Uh, there's a lot of people that don't. Um, but Gaurav's right. He doesn't do things like what other people do. It. He goes for different things. Um, he looks at things and puts his hand into it and then works out what pieces need to be done, tries to do all parts of that piece and tries to get every margin that he can squeeze out of everyone. Um, so he's good at what he does. Um, you know, I, I do, I'm, I'm not trying to pick how, you know, whether I like the guy or not, but he delivers. He executes. He's very good at what he does. So that's all you care about. Now, the interesting part about MinRes is um, you have to remember the size and where it sits. So it's actually uh, outside the 100. So it's a small cap. So if you wanted to play a scale miner that gives you a diversified business model, there isn't too many players that you can go into. So MinRes, especially in iron ore play, becomes the dominant play. So that's, yeah. and it has a sensitivity, I think from memory, it's about 10% of its um, earnings. So it, it's a highly leveraged play. So yes, they're good. Do I like management? I don't care about management, but they execute. He executes. He's got a track record of executing. That's all I care about. So in that context, you've got to trust management here. Let them do their thing. 
The recent run-up is more to do with what's happening in lithium, as Gaurav said. Yeah, I'm a bit worried about the, the whole lithium thing. Everything is a billion-dollar asset, multi-billion-dollar assets now. Um, look, battery technology is the future. Is lithium battery is going to be the only solution? I doubt that. There'll be a basket of solutions. So all of these things will, you know, as with anything, get excited and then settles down. Minres, I think you got to remember, don't fall in love like Gurab. It's a cyclical stock. It's a mining stock. It's dominated by what happens in China. Now, if you look at the property prices in China, they're not crash hot. Chinese are trying to go through massive reform while they're going through the deleveraging cycle through reform. And they are trying to deflate the asset bubbles. So while that happens, we're just not sure that all the iron ore stocks have actually rebounded more than the iron ore itself because everyone's assuming China is going to suddenly pump stimulus and go back to building roads to nowhere and plenty of ghost cities. I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's much, it's a different cycle now. They are trying to manage things. They can see the risk. They can see the mistakes the West is making and China is trying not to make it. Mind you, they've already got a massive bubble to deal with. So in the short term, I think there's a risk to it. I would be taking profit here and come back later. Because if you look at both sides, I think iron ore has a substantial risk to what's happening in China. Lithium, I think it's too much, especially played out at the moment. I think people's expectations are too high. So I think there's definite risk there. So in the short term, I'd take profit and come back. Uh, but in the longer term, as Gaurav said, if you if the stock pulls back anywhere in the 40 or 50, you buy some. You buy yeah. some gradually over time because the guy will do well in the long run. Okay. All right. There you go. That's... Uh... Really good advice that you received there, Simeon. Answers your question. Uh, Nathan, Dominic wants a view on Monash IVF, the uh, the IVF fertility uh, specialist, also into uh, a lot of um, imaging services as well. Yeah, look, uh, we were looking at this and Virtuous VRT um, because, you know, about, I think it's about 12 months ago, they were unloved. They were massive cash generating businesses. They're good, you know, these are not exciting um, businesses, but they churn out pretty good cash, undervalued, and we knew at some point this will come through. Um, and that did happen. Um, and I think Virtuous VRT got a bid, um, and I think that's pushed it up as well. And the market is now starting to understand the, 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 the risk return that it provides, and the stocks have done well. Um, do I think it's a hidden gem at the moment? I don't think so. I think the market's pricing it what it should be. I think it's okay. Um, if you've been there, I think you can hold. I don't think there's anything wrong with the business. Uh, but if I'm jumping in to buy a healthcare growth stock, that those are under pressure. Monash is probably not one of them, but because of the healthcare play, it'll probably see a bit of selling. Um, so I'd be a bit careful right now. So I wouldn't jump in right now into Monash. But look, I think it's a good business, solid business. I think it does well. Okay. Um, Gaurav? Gorab, may have just have lost. Won. Have we lost Gorab? Ah, yeah, Gorab. Sorry, I just jumped back on. Um, yeah, I'm, Monash IVF. I missed most of what. Yeah, I'm sorry, I missed most of what Nathan said, but um, I, uh, I, I will. The way we've, I, I fall in love with with Minres. Um, I've had kind of an, an opposite relationship with uh, with the IVF <laughs> providers. Um, we. <laughs> 
we've had a pretty uh, disastrous relationship with Virtus and Monash. Um, we've recommended these for years and just lost money on them and um, and made made errors all along the way, analytical errors, behavioral errors. Yeah. Um, but the, the core of it is that we just thought that these were better quality businesses than they really were. And, and you can see why that would be the case, right? Because we all know the thematics at play here. Um, women are having babies or children um, at a later age. They The, the demand for these um, sort of services are only going to increase. Um, and I would have thought that the demand would be non-discretionary. You'd have lots of pricing power. You know, if someone is willing to pay um, $10,000 for a cycle, they're probably willing to pay fifteen or 18000 yep. for for that same cycle. And so I thought there'd be lots of pricing power. And so, you know, we, we actually have, have bought both of these. And um, as, as I said, I think mo most of our assumptions about the industry were incorrect. And um, and we've been wrong on these. They're actually, they're actually not great businesses. First of all, um, the demand is highly discretionary. Um, people are very sensitive to price. There's a lot of competition. And the competition is based on price as well. And the power of the individual doctors in these um, in these companies is actually quite strong. So Monash had one particular doctor who was responsible for, for about 30% of all procedures. And once she left and set up her own practice, all her clients went with her and the business has never recovered from that loss. And I wonder how much of those, of that kind of hidden risk lies in these companies. Yep. Um, but the, the, the probabilities of success are, are variable and unknowable. And, and these just aren't great quality companies. I mean, they're okay. steady. Um, you can see from the results, they provide steady cash flow, steady returns. Growth is hard to come by and often gets competed away. And I think the appropriate multiple is sort of sub 20 times, which is what the market yeah. is pricing at the moment. All right. And I think that there's no no real opportunity here. What, what you're seeing is is the market finally being rational and um, and uh, judging these companies on the way that they really are. So I, I would okay. say we've been wrong over the last few years. Um, the market's probably right. I don't think there's an opportunity here. If I held it, I'd sell it and look at something else. I don't okay. think these, these are interesting. All right. Uh, Eamon wants a view. Um, Gaurav, we need to sort of pick up the pace a bit on, uh, on News Corporation, okay. the giant media group that owns everything from newspapers to subscription, television, and... Um, if you're a fan of Succession, uh, the series apparently it's based on the Murdochs. So that, that's intrigued a lot of people. Gaurav, what do you think of views? Yeah, I just finished watching Succession actually, and I can I was absolutely fascinated, and I couldn't stop thinking about News Corp in this same context as well. And I wonder if that's the way deals get done here too. Yeah. <laughs> um, look, we've actually we've owned this in the past um, and have sold it last year at some point, done okay from it. Um, it's a hodgepodge of businesses. They're actually firing really well together. 85% of revenues come from um, REA at Realtor.com, which is kind of the American equivalent, which is absolutely firing at the moment. But um, what really surprised me was, was how well the other divisions are doing. Um, so books, there is a re renaissance in book, book publishing, and this is actually a profitable little business. It makes $300 million a year. From publishing mm -hmm. books, and I think that's uh, that, that's probably uh, stable and sustainable. Um, the Dow Jones is a good business. Even the, the crappy parts of the business, or the the Fox and the cable businesses, are actually doing okay. So look, on the some of the parts, this still looks cheap, but I would caution that it needs to be cheap because it's hard to to know how you're going to extract value from this company. Um, you know, yeah. without kind of breaking it all apart. And there's very little um, inclination to do that. So look, I, I think 
full value has been realized. It was cheap for a long time. It's cheap no longer. I will sell this and move on. Um, but yep. keep an eye on it. If there are if there are talks about breakups or, or divestments, that might be another opportunity. Okay, Nathan, News Corp. Yeah, look, uh, yeah, Grav's always loved this one. I remember the days when he used to say, "If you want to get exposure to realestate.com, buy News Corp." Um, and it's true, the valuation is dominated by real estate. And if you look at the last couple of years, the share price pretty much trades um, almost the same chart as realestate.com because the valuation is dominated by that. Uh, we like the media sector. Uh, the market will soon move from high growth to cyclical growth stocks. Media sector plays quite well with that because you know all the risk in hospitality, travel and all of that uh, and retail. When you want customers coming back, you need to advertise and the media sector will benefit out of that. So we're seeing quite a good uh, recovery cycle in the media sector and you've got election coming. No one spends money. Well, no one spends other people's money like government. So there's an election cycle coming. So the media sector will do even better and midterms coming in the US as well. So in that context, I think the media sector looks good. We like a number of media stocks. We like the big nub one. So we've been uh, fans of O Media and Southern Cross Media. I think both of them look good and they'll come up. Uh, News Corp for me is priced well. Um, I think they, they're good. They've got good pieces. Uh, most of the pieces are doing well, cyclical recovery. Uh, but I don't think the market is pricing it badly. Market knows. I don't think there's a lot of upside. I think Graf's right. This is where you take your money and go somewhere else. Okay. All right. But uh, you like Southern Cross and O Media. Um, Nathan, uh, Sol wants to be on the VanEck MSCI International Quality ETF. Sol says, uh, what do you think of it as a core holding to a portfolio? Yeah, look, I, I, I don't mind it. I, I think it's a, it's a good ETF. Uh, now, the question is, what are you investing in? What's your thematic? Now, if you're thinking uh, like a multi-asset ETF play and this is part of that, sure, makes sense. Uh, I think the, the thing that you have to remember is the weighting when you have a multi-asset ETF using, ET, uh, sorry, multi-asset play with ETFs, you need to look at the weightings of it. So you might, at this point in the cycle, I would be reducing your weighting. Uh, so we've reduced it a while ago, um, international shares, and I would be doing that in this one if you're doing it for that aspect, simply because US market is holding up global markets. So, And US market, if you take out the half a dozen stocks, it's actually underperforming. So it's mainly held up by a few uh, stocks. Now, if you look at their holdings, guess what? They're dominated by US stocks and those handful of stocks. So if the market does come back to, you know, as with rates rising, tapering, there will be normalization in the US market. That'll lead to global normalization. Multiples will come off. These handful of stocks will uh, eventually come to lower multiples. So you'll see some weakness. So in that context, on an asset allocation basis, I think you need to downweight your international share. So if you're using this as part of your asset allocation on an overall portfolio, downweight it. I would still hold it, but I would have less of it. That's the okay. that's the theory for me. Okay, um, Gorev. Uh, no, I don't like this. Um, ETFs work when they're very broad based, and if if you're mirroring an index with an ETF, I think that's that's excellent. That's exactly what they're used for, and that's when they're at their best. When they don't work is when you're trying to use the ETF as a stock proxy. So, you know, if you, if you want um, some esoteric, um, crazy narrative theme, very specific, and you choose an ETF, I think that's the inappropriate use of ETFs. Just a personal view. 
um, you know, you're better off doing um, a, a stock-specific selection if that's the case. I mean, you're picking things anyway. You've made a conscious choice to, to pick a sector or pick a theme. Why not do a little bit more work and pick a stock if you're going to do all that? Right. If you're not interested in just want a very broad exposure to equities, ETFs are the way to go. I think this is a terrible way to select stocks. They're only, they're going, there's three filters in, in this ETF, high ROE, earning stability, and financial leverage. Now, like peace, freedom, and joy, they all sound like <laughs> wonderful things, but they mean different things to different people. Yeah. And I, I just think you want, as an investor, you want maximum flexibility, and you don't want to be tied down to numbers um, as ropey as ROE. I mean, we can spend yeah. a whole hour on ROE. It is a ropey number. So this is a sell for me. I think this is a terrible way to invest and I would never own it. Okay. All right. Let's, uh, let's recap the, uh, the first five stocks. Stock of the day, Clinaville, uh, Pharmaceuticals, um, a buy from Gorav and um, a hold and accumulate from, um, if you want to get into it, bits and pieces for, uh, uh, from Mathan. Uh, Calix, a hold from Gorav. Uh, take some profits from um, uh, from Mathan. Uh, mineral resources, a, a hold from Gorav, take some profits from uh, from Mathan. If it gets down to that $40, $50 mark, then look at uh, getting back in. Both of them agree there could be a pullback in the MinRes uh, share price in the not too distant future. Monash IVF, uh, a no from Mathan, a sell from uh, uh, from Gorab News Corp, uh, a sell from both of them, and Van Eck uh, ETF, a sell from Gorab, a hold from Mathan. Um, let's go on to our sixth stock. Uh, in this uh, second half of the call, we're looking at Navati, uh, NIB Holdings, Booktopia, Wes Farmers, and Global Data Center Group. So that's coming up. Uh, first up, Gorab Navati, a, a fintech business, sort of. Uh, put in the buy now, pay later basket has it. It's done a deal with Afterpay for um, uh, in in New Zealand to offer its services there. What do you think of Novati? Yeah, it has been put in that basket. I'm surprised by that because when I look at this, this is a business that is probably more ambitious than just a buy now, pay later. They're actually um, they're trying to be a merchant acquirer, a processor of transaction, an issue of credit cards. And, uh, and also do settlement with a banking license as well. So they're trying, it's very ambitious. They're trying to do the whole gamut of the, um, of the payment system. Yeah. Most firms, most firms of scale would cho choose one of those uh, parts of the payment system and focus and concentrate on that. Tyro, for example, I think does merchant acquiring really well. Um, EML does the issuance, card issuance really well. These guys are trying to do all of it. It's a $120 million market cap very low revenue and most of the revenue has been acquired i think these they're probably a bit more ambitious than what their um, capabilities so far demonstrate um the management actually looks quite good they, the the uh, the directors and executives have a, have a good pedigree a good track record so that's that that's the one thing that sort of keeps it in its favor but i gotta say i don't i don't love the strategy it just appears to be stitching other businesses together and and buying uh, low, low quality revenue. It's a sell for me, but the, the management team is good. So it's probably one I just keep a, a, an eye on every now and again, just because there's good people involved, mm. but, but a sell for me. Okay. Uh, Nathan, the share price has um, um, done okay as well, has it? Yeah, well, it has recently. Uh, probably if you held it for the last six to nine months, you probably didn't. Um, 
early last year, um, everything you know, everything in um, tech, fintech, has had a pretty big run. So yeah. you've got to understand where we are in the fintech cycle. Uh, as Guru mentioned, a lot of peer business models concentrate on particular areas, and they've done that really well. Now the growth plays there; they've grabbed the customer base, and the whole acquisition of Afterpay by Square to become Block. Uh, go figure the naming. Um, it was based around bringing together different customer bases and putting together and cross-selling and becoming a bigger player. Now, I think that's generally what where we are headed for for fintechs. The trick would be is who, I mean, obviously everyone's going to, at some point, have to get to scale and you've got a limited amount of quality dance players uh, and you've got to catch your dancing partner. So there, I think there's going to be a consolidation in this industry the, the better guys will match up with other better guys to make a bigger machine, and that will get them going through the cycle. Now, where we are in the cycle, growth stocks are coming off because rates are going up, multiple, multiples will come off. So this is where stocks that are not making a profit uh, for a number of years will struggle, and this is one of them. So it's going to be tough in this market. Um, I think you need to be already at a certain scale, or you need to have a advantage in a particular area to survive through the next cycle. I don't see that in this one. I'm, I'm struggling to see that. And I think right. it's going to be tough because they're doing too many pieces. Okay. So we, we kind of, you know, in the fintech space, as much as we weren't a fan of buy now, pay later, we jumped into Zip after the being. And for me, with nearly 10% short in Zip, I think that's a potential takeover play. For me, that makes sense. Where we are in the cycle, still dominant player. But NBO is still, sorry, NOV is okay. still too early in the stage to play that. Okay. All right, Paige wants a view, Nathan, on NIB, the big private health insurer based in, in Newcastle. Yeah, look, I'm a member. Um, geez, it's, it's a tough industry. Uh, these guys are really good at managing it. Um, premiums, you know, overall in the insurance sector is going up. Um, they've done well, nothing like a pandemic to get people interested in boring healthcare uh, insurance. So in that context, I think a lot of things have worked in their favor, good management, they've done well. But I think the market knows that and pricing that in. I don't see the excitement here. Um, you're not going to find a stock that people don't know about. Everyone knows it's good. Everyone knows they're doing well. Everyone knows ahead of time how they're going to play out. So there's no real surprises. So, uh, look, if you held it and you've had a good run, I think you hold on to it. It's okay. It's a hold. But if I'm putting, you know, if I'm trying to pick the best 10, 15 stocks, this doesn't yeah. stack up. Okay. Um, Nathan, what do you think of uh, private health insurance is tough because basically government has so many restrictions on it, but we seem to be healthier. We're die, dying less at the moment. There have been, um, what was I reading over summer, the uh, car fatalities uh, at the lowest in 100 years. And I read this morning that since the pandemic, um, life expectancy, uh, uh, almost a year, has been added to a, a person's life from the pandemic. Isn't that extraordinary? And yeah. I think the death rate is actually, fewer people have died during the pandemic. It's so yeah. counterintuitive. Including, it? which all includes all the COVID deaths. Mm. That's right. That's right. Yeah, we never would have picked these outcomes. Yeah, the world is a strange place. And this kind of fits into that theme because this should be a lousy business on all accounts. I mean, you were talking gross margins of 20%, yep. pre-tax margins of 10. These are low margins. And um, 
the way this industry works is um, if you court the best quality customers, so, so NIB has a strategy of signing up young, healthy people, you don't get the full benefit of that because the industry forces, there's a, there's a shared fund called the Equalization Fund. Um, NIB has to pay money into that fund to subsidize someone like um, Medibank Private who has wow. older customers. Huh. Um, and so the, the in, in health insurance works by young people subsidizing old people and the, the regulators force companies who have more young people to, to pay for the older um, health insurers as well. So you don't actually keep the full benefit of your cohort. So, right. I mean, and considering all of that and the price increases and the regulated um, regulated caps on prices, this has been an extraordinary success story. And it's all due to magnificent management, some of the best management in the industry. But it is a very tough business. And yeah. I, I think it's probably appropriately priced. It's going to be hard to do well from here. Look, I think you can hold it. Um, it'll pay a decent yield. Um, there's, there's a certain comfort in being invested with a wonderful management team and, and i think if you're a conservative investor you can certainly hold this and you'll probably do okay from it um okay. but but if you're looking for growth you won't find it here hold all right um gaurav a bit earlier when you were talking about news corp you were raving about their book division um luke <laughs> wants a view on booktopia uh is it doing as well as the news corp book division it, Booktopia is a business that really intrigues me. I, I, I was sitting in a conference um, a couple of years ago, just when this business listed, and Booktopia was coming up to speak, and I just almost, almost walked out. I thought, oh, who wants to invest in, the, in when Amazon is your biggest competitor and uh, you know it's books? I was just was not interested. And when I heard the CEO talk, I was enthralled. Um, you know, I, I think this is a, a really interesting business, much better than I thought it was going to be. They do two hundred million dollars of sales at okay margin, so a 6% margin, but the CEO is actually really good here. So they've got a plan to get into the distribution business and to do publishing as well. And I think that's the key for raising margins. They're relatively competitive on the retail front, but margins are low. There's an opportunity to expand um, uh, margins by doing those other activities. They also have, um, uh, they, 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 because they have so much local knowledge and Amazon is not local, they can actually dominate small niches. So they actually dominate the education niche mm. where there's um, very high margins and, and low competition. And, and I like the way that management go about fighting a, a big gorilla like Amazon. And I think this has been very effective. The founder has been selling down stock recently, but he still owns a big chunk. Um, look, it's it's a tough business. I'm I'm watching this for the moment. I wouldn't be running in to buy it yet. It looks kind of interesting, I must say. It's on my watch list. Mm. Um, I'd, I'd just be watching it. I'd call it a hold. It's, it's starting to get interesting. It's probably a candidate for further research. Yeah. Nathan, it's um, had a big drop in the, uh, in the share price. Um, so is it starting to get to that interesting level? Well, I was going to start with no need to close the book on this one, but you know the, the puns, the puns are coming. So you got to you got to use it. I think we were talking about this when they uh, IPO. I mean, you cannot pick a better time than a COVID lockdown Christmas to have very good like for like sales, and they came out on the IPO with the great numbers. So expectations were way too high, and that's coming off. I'm really worried about what the retail sector is um, being expected to deliver over the next year or so. Um, and that's what, for me, worries me about Booktopia. I think, obviously, the share price has come off. Expectations are too bloody high when, when they floated, and that's reaching reality. Kurav's right. They need to evolve the model 
and that may be the answer to margin expansion. Um, that the problem for me is the macro. 2021 was as good as you're going to get. That's you know you've got uh, a really bad macro in the pandemic. Then you get massive handouts, and everyone's flushed with cash. Uh, you know, kids who were working in hospitality were getting paid more than what they were actually earning while they were working, and everyone was spending money. You just look at the retail sales, how it, how well it went through that year. That was the best year. So, a lot of the retail stocks were artificially pumped up. Don't get me started on JobKeeper. Uh, so those kind of things played into your thematic. Now the trick is, how do you follow on from there? I don't think you're going to get any anything like that in a handout that plays out. I think rates go up, consumer spending, inflation bites into it. All of these things will play. So you've got to be careful. You you know you've got to look for the best of the best in that sector if you want exposure. And Booktopia for me right now is not there. So I want to see it prove itself. So. I'd be staying out of it. If you're in it, uh, look, it's one to keep an eye on, but if you're in it, it's one of those psychological problems for me. Uh, do you sell it after it falls so much? Uh, you probably hold on, see what they do. But yeah, fresh money, no way. Okay. All right. Um, let's go on to Wes Farmers now. And uh, um, thank you for suggesting uh, this because today they also put out a trading update, uh, Mathan. Um, share prices up, what, 2% uh, on the back of that update, even though they're forecasting a decrease in half-yearly earnings. Um, what did you make of the update and, and the share price? Yeah, look, when you're in a, a macro environment where supply chains are really affected, um, even the big boys are affected and, uh, you know, West farmers are seeing that. Look, we always talk about the, the listed private equity players and West Farmers is one of them. Management is really highly regarded. They, you know, they buy unloved assets, they turn them around. Uh, you know, they, they generally do really well with them. So you back them. Multiples are high. I mean, they're pretty high. So the expectations are pretty high. They, the, the beauty of West Farmers is they've still got a massive balance sheet with a lot of cash waiting for takeovers. I think API bid... He's a, a smart play. They wanted to get into that sector. It's hard to get into that sector. Um, and so West Farmers will do really well there. And they've got him at the right time. They're not, I don't think they're paying too much for it. Uh, so that's one play. I still think they'll do other big acquisitions. And that's where the growth is going to come. I still think there's a potential they'll move into the chemical sector. Uh, I think they still might go into specialized retail. That's where I can see their expertise. They can, you know, unloved assets that they could turn around. So that's, that's what you're buying. You're buying the optionality in the management's ability to turn around shitty businesses and come out with better performance. So that's what you buy. I think the multiple's too expensive in where we are. Uh, I think it'll come off and you'll get it cheaper. But if you held it through, uh, it's, it's a hold for me. But fresh money, I'm not buying it right now. Okay. Um, Shahana wanted a view on this, uh, Gaurav, saying uh, with the pullback from the high 60s, as we saw on the chart, is it time to buy for a uh, for a long-term hold. Um, the update said good results from Bunnings, uh, Wes Farmers uh, Chemicals, Kmart and Officeworks were, uh, were a bit weaker. Yeah, the way to think about Wes Farmers is, as Nathan says, as a, as a big private equity firm. And when you do that, multiples become less important. Cash flow and capital allocation become more important. and. Look, I have to say, I think this looks kind of interesting. Um, it's a mm. wonderful collection of assets. Um, I, I love West Farmers so much. You know, when you open a, a West Farmers presentation, 
um, that they say on every presentation, Westcom's primary objective is to provide satisfactory returns to shareholders. That is their preamble. You know, I just, I love the uh, the modesty and the, the boringness of that. You know, yeah. mo most companies promise to solve this problem and we'll do this and do that and outstanding returns. And these guys are just promising you, you know, we're going to do satisfactory returns for you. And that's all we're going to do. And that just, that, that for me sums up so much of the cultural, um, yep. the culture of West Farmers. Um, but, but look, Bunnings alone um, generates $2 billion. It's probably worth $40 billion on a, on a $60 billion West Farmers market cap. I don't think this is expensive. Um, the other stuff is fantastic. As Nathan says, there's billions of dollars of firepower left um, in West Farmers to generate uh, another acquisition or two. Uh, so I think there's actually more to come here. The guys running it are fantastic. I think if you're patient capital and conservative capital, you can buy this and do perfectly well for a long time. So, okay. so I'm going to go buy it. Uh, the API deal, Australian Pharmaceuticals? Yeah, look, we actually um, we had a buy on API before the deal. So I'm pleased to see uh, West Farmers recognize value. That's a strategic asset. It was completely misunderstood by the market. And I, and I think yeah. there's a lot of optionality with plugging that into the West Farmers model. These guys, I think that's a great example of management now and identifying assets that other people, except for us, had, had no recognition of the value for. So I'm, I, I think it's a great example of how good these guys are. Yeah, and and you've always said that this is a company like that's like a private equity portfolio, isn't it? But yep. aggressive management, yep. there for bargains in the interests of shareholders. It's because the it's because the um, the asset base is flexible. Um, you know that's why I hesitate to value this on uh, a multiple because the the assets can flip and change over time. So you don't want to be capitalizing today's earnings necessarily. Um, uh, you know, five years ago, this was a, a, an 80, 90 percent retail operation. And now it's something yeah. completely different. And I think in five years time, it will look different again. But what will remain the same is that you have really high returns on capital. You have really smart management hunting out for you uh, the best places to park your money. And they get access to deals that we don't get access to. I, I think this is a really good, good spot for, for as I said, conservative patient capital. I, I'd certainly yeah. be holding and buying this fund. For yourself, manage super fun. Um, and the other that's right. Remember, Koshi, is that right now where we are in the cycle, the the standard retail stocks will struggle, but the the more staple type uh, retail stocks will do a lot better. So, um, as Gura mentioned, a number of pieces. A lot of what West Farmers do is not your standard retail. Mm. You know, Kmart is your default cheap retail. Bunnings is your default uh, hardware. So office works is your default purchase place. So it's a lot of that is by default becomes a staple play. So they're building up, a, 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 I suppose, a basket of businesses that are more staple. And I think over the next two to three years, the staples will do better than your discretionary retail shops. So yep. I think this is positioned well. I just think in the where we are in the growth value cycle, these guys will come off a bit. But you're right. This is a you know, if you're a list of private equity, you buy these things in the pullback. Yep. All right, uh, Nathan. Our our final stock. Katie wants a view on Global Data Center Group. Sort of data centers for a couple of years has been sexy. Um, this is basically an investment fund uh, investing in data centers, isn't it? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for a PhD from Gaurav on this one. Um, he, lo <laughs> he loves his data centers. It's, a, it's almost like a tech porn for Gaurav. Uh, so, you know, when you're looking at uh, this kind of place, you've got to look at, you've got to trust management. You've got to look at who are the guys in the stock, what do they see. Have a look at the major shareholders. There's a lot of smart fundies in there, and they've been there for a while. So mm -hmm. this is a long-term play, and, and I think the data centers thematic is not something like uh, um, you know it's it's not going to be diluted by something else I think the data center structure will be there it'll probably get consolidated over time um, there'll be bigger players coming in and your demand will keep rising and rising as we do more we're in the uh, I suppose we're going into the data age uh, yep. from the industrialization age to the data age and there's going to be so much more data that's going to come in and there's going to be so much demand for data centers there's going to be more and more built so in that context i think it's in a great place there's a lot of fundies backing the management um, and i think that just tells you how well the market thinks of this management i'd be backing them um, i'd put the money and i don't really care about the price it's just a long-term play you buy it and you forget about it okay uh Gaurab, global data center group is it a better option than sort of investing directly into, a, for example, a NextDC to take that portfolio approach? Yeah, I was interested in this because as Nathan said, it is backed by good management. Um, I think it's David uh, Tooley who's done this. Um, he's, he's been involved in the industry for a while. It's, it's backed by good capital, good management. But when I look at the asset quality here, it's pretty poor, really. Um, yeah. They only have 2.4 megawatts of capacity. And, and I know that doesn't mean much to people watching, but for context, um, NextDC will do about 90, and they'll, they have a plan to get to 300, 300 megawatts. Mac Telecom does about 50 with a plan to get to 80. Infratel, um, which owns half of CDC, which is the biggest DC center in Australia, yeah. they'll get to 400. So wow. 2.4 is minuscule. It's, it, it's almost uncompetitive. And, and that's actually across a whole series of data centers. That's not even in one data center. The DC they own in Guam is one mega more. I mean, that, that's almost, that's, that's nothing. Yeah. Across Europe and, and, and South America, they have 1.6. And because these are so small, you don't, the way you make money from DCs is it's just a big cold room. If all you're doing is building a big cold room and collecting rent, um, your rent's going to fall, your margins are going to be slim, it's going to be a competitive right. business. The, the reason NextDC, Mac and IFT do well is because um, they provide opportunities to stitch um, servers and companies together inside the data center. So the data center becomes an opportunity for networking and it's those network profits that drive mm -hmm. returns. Once you establish a network inside the DC, you can't pull yourself out, you suddenly get pricing power, you get 80, 90% gross margins, and then you can add services, which Mac is doing at the moment. You can add services on top of that. Uh, that's the way to make money. Just building a cold room at one, two megawatts, that, that's a crappy business. And and these guys can't even decide. I mean, that they own a bit of um, a hyperscale center. They own a bit of an edge center. They own uh, a transit center. Like, there's no coherent strategy here. They're just kind oh. of buying whatever they can buy, and that's because the industry is already stitched up by the big guys, and the, the, it doesn't include GDC. The most interesting part of this company is actually they own a stake of Airtrunk, which is on its way to having two or 300 megawatts. It's a big, high-quality business. They own a, a chunk of that. Um, it's only 30 or $40 million, so not a big deal, but 
that's the only interesting part. Otherwise, okay. I think this is nowhere near as good as the legacy guys on the ASX. And we've recommended and owned all of them for a long, long time. So that's NextDC, Macquarie Telecom, and Infratel. All better options than this. Sell GDC. Okay. All right. Gaurav Sodi from Intelligent Investor. Thank you, sir. Good to catch up. Enjoy the rest of the week. Nathan Thomas and Darren from Deep Data Analytics. Likewise, always great. Thank you, guys. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Um, Thanks, guys. Great to be back. It is. Yep. Too right. It's great to have them back as well. Let's uh, just summarise our last five stocks. Uh, Nabati is a sell from Gaurav, a no from uh, Mathan, a hold from both of them on NIB, the private health insurance group. Uh, Booktopia, a no from Mathan, a hold from Gaurav. Wes Farmers, a um, a, uh, hold from Mathan, a buy from uh, from Gorev and Global Data Centers was a, um, a a a yes from Nathan and a no from uh, from Gorev who prefers going into Macquarie Telecommunications and uh, NextDC and Infratel as the options. Uh, that's it for us for to kick off this Monday. Great to be back on the call. Of course, we're here every weekday. Uh, between midday and 1pm Eastern Standard Time. If you want to send us any stocks to put before our panel, email them the call at osbiz.com.au. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.